0: Amen. Typically, when my husband would ask me if I was willing to speak or if I had something to share, I normally would panic (laughs) and say, you got about nine months before I'm ready to do that. But it just so happened that about three weeks ago on a Sunday morning sitting on the front uh, pew that the Lord actually spoke into my spirit and gave me a message for the church And so for once, I was actually prepared when he asked. Um, I'm going to, if it's okay with you, I'm just going to take my time a little bit tonight. We um, are going to uh, go on a journey, I guess would be the best um, way to put it, but we're going to go back to the beginning of our church. Um, I'm going to take you on a journey of apostolic history. I love to research history. I, I like to know Um, where that the church began and how that the church has evolved. I've been doing a lot of reading and a lot of studying, um, trying to understand what um, apostolic revival, what it actually truly is, where it began and how that it has um, evolved. What many of you may not realize is that the city of Frankfurt Um, was the first established apostolic Caucasian church um, in the oneness movement. Uh, In 1912, I believe it was, G.T. Haywood came to the revelation of the oneness of Jesus Christ, And from that, an incredible revival ensued in uh, the city of uh, Indianapolis. Of course, he pastored um, Christ Temple in Indianapolis right off of 65. I don't know if any of you have ever been there. I've actually been there um, a few times and taken uh, tours I probably bugged them <laughs> quite a bit, um, but I actually, and I didn't get a picture of this um, to put up on the screen, but I saw the pulpit chair that G.T. Haywood um, sat in, and so to me, that was a, a very cool piece of history. Um, but from there, a great revival began in the oneness movement that was a multicultural revival. And I've put a picture out here. I don't know how many of you have stopped by my husband's office and have seen this picture. But that is actually a picture that was circulated through my family. Um, And I'm not real sure maybe Aunt Lois could help me a little bit on recalling um, where that it came from. But my grandfather was given that picture by a cousin. And I remember one day going out to his house and he said, I have something I want to show you. And he pulled out this picture and it was in three separate pieces. And he said, I don't know if anybody would be interested in this, but do you think that Philip would want this to hang in his office? And of course, right away I said, Absolutely, we want that picture. If you'll take a look at this picture um, close up after church, you're going to notice that it is not just a black congregation, but there are also whites. And you will also find Asians in that picture. And somewhere mixed in that picture are relatives of mine. Grandpa never did um, find out for sure. I think that they were cousins. But according to him, G.T. Haywood actually baptized some of my family. And if I'm understanding correctly from what I remember him telling me was that G.T. Haywood or a minister from his church actually baptized my great-grandparents. So I'm only four generations removed from that, so I I count that a very, very rich heritage. But from there, uh, G.T. Haywood began to send out evangelists on what at the time was known as the Metro. Did any of you ever even know that Indiana had a metro. I was pretty amazed by that. But it used to run from Indianapolis into Lebanon, and then from Lebanon into Frankfurt, from Frankfurt into Lafayette, and then from Lafayette all the way into Chicago. And uh, out of Christ's temple, evangelists came into the city of Lebanon and began to hold tent revivals there. And my understanding is, is that is where my extended family, I believe it was cousins, and if I'm not mistaken, it was either a mother or a grandmother of Sister Amsbury, Sharon Amsbury, that um, first received the gift of the Holy Ghost in a tent revival in Lebanon, Indiana. So when we started a church in Lebanon, there was quite a significance to that. They were never able to truly get a solid church established in Lebanon. And if I were to give my opinion on that, I believe that it was due to strongholds in that city that did not want that message coming forth. And so from there, they sent um, an evangelist into the city of Frankfurt. And my great-grandparents, uh, uh, Sherman and Lesie, am I saying that right? Les- Leslie Lesie. Lesie, I said it right the first time. Uh, Price were a part of that original movement. It's very interesting because um, the evangelist that came out of Christ temple, of course, um, was a black man. And my great-grandfather at the time had a very uh, good job that um, paid well at the time. I suppose they had what they needed. And he, he had a, a house that was big enough to accommodate a guest. It had an outside entrance, and I guess like an apartment of sorts, the way that my grandfather described it. And so he agreed to allowing the evangelist from Christ temple to stay in their home. And when his boss found out, that he was allowing a black man to stay in the home, he lost his job and was demoted. And from there, they always struggled financially, but in my opinion, they were rich spiritually. So, very interesting that, um, that the original movement came from um, Indianapolis into Lebanon, where we now have established church, and then into Frankfurt, and Zion Tabernacle was the original Caucasian church for the apostolic movement, and I don't know about you, but I'm pretty thankful for that, because we obviously are a result of that, and I would have to say that God's been very good to all of us. For our 25th wedding anniversary, my husband and I um, decided that we were going to take a trip, and he um, planned a trip to go out to California. Neither one of us had ever been out to the West Coast, and so we flew out to um, Los Angeles, California. And it was very difficult for my husband because me, I'm just like, oh, hey, let's go. Let's have a party. (laughs) We're going to, I don't have to have a plan. We can just, you know, do whatever. And so, but for my husband, of course, he has a color-coded calendar (laughs) and he is used to structure, but he bent backwards and did not have a plan except he had a rental car lined out and that was it. And so he asked me, he said, what are uh, some of the things that that you want to do? And there was only one thing in particular. I wanted to see, um, of course, Hollywood. Who doesn't want to see Hollywood? There really wasn't anything there that I suppose totally grabbed my attention. But the main thing I wanted to see was I wanted to go to Azusa Street. And Nick, if you can put up that first picture for me, that is my picture. It was very interesting because I was expecting almost a shrine <laughs> type, or at least if I had, you know, my way, I would have had something built there that um, that would have represented the epicenter of the Pentecostal movement. But when we searched and we searched and we searched, trying to figure out where is this Azusa Street, where is this mission, where, you know, all of these things that we've heard in the stories that we heard— And I was so surprised to discover that that was all that was left of Azusa Street. Can you go to the next picture? And so I took a lot of uh, pictures of a street sign (laughs) that said um, Azusa Street. There was right on the corner of, um, of that area was a mission. And if you could put that up, that very front corner to the right was for sale. And you like to have lost me (laughs) because I wanted to buy that mission. I was ready to go and to revive Azusa Street. Um, It was just the coolest experience because for me, the rich history of understanding exactly where we came from and where that our movement um, began in America was just so incredible to me. Um, It was also very interesting to me to realize that for this to have been the epicenter of where um, the apostolic or the Pentecostal movement began, that only three miles, I believe it is, yes, or no, I'm sorry, 0.4 miles, three minutes away, you see Azusa Street up at the top, uh, the top side of the picture, and at that bottom point is Skid Row, Anybody ever heard of Skid Row? We accidentally drove through there because we got lost. It was quite interesting, actually. But it was amazing to me that um, where that epicenter actually was, that that kind of corrupt evil had really taken hold of that area. Um, that speaks to me of how that the enemy really would like to stop revival and like to stop the spread of the apostolic message. And so tonight, I am going to be speaking to you um, from this subject, and that subject is wildfire. Everybody say it with me, wildfire. I'm going to take my text from Acts, the second chapter, and it's going to be a lengthy reading. I'm um, starting at verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all of these which speak Galatians? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Dropping down to verse 12. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea. And all that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing that it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Dropping down to verse 37 and why don't you read it with me. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost." For the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto the church. 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things in common. I think just for a few minutes, we need to give the Lord some praise for that Amazing gift that the Lord is still pouring out today. We give you praise, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I magnify you. Hallelujah. In 1906, the most phenomenal event of the 20th century apostolic church took place in Los Angeles, California, on Azusa Street. In the early morning of April 18, 1906, San Francisco residents were rudely awakened by the deadliest earthquake in North American history. A devastating fire, fed by ruptured gas lines, finished off what the earthquake, later estimated as 8.3 on the Richter scale, failed to destroy in its first deadly seconds. Some 700 people lay dead among the decimated 514 city blocks. Angry men and women blamed God and the unstoppable earth. I'm sorry. Yes. No, I'm sorry. The unstable. I cannot read and I forgot my glasses. (laughs) The unstable earth sitting atop the San Andreas fault line. A gospel track rushed to the printer and widely circulated in the area, called the tragedy a judgment and a warning from the God that some were cursing. That same morning, 400 miles south, the world took notice of another movement, one with aftershocks that is still spreading today. In a skeptical front-page story, titled Weird Babble of Tongues, a Los Angeles Times reporter attempted to describe what would soon be known as the Azusa Street Revival. His description was this, breathing strange utterances and mouthing a creed which it would seem no sane mortal could understand. The newest religion, a religious sect has started in Los Angeles. What would soon come to be understood was that this was not a new religious sect, but this was that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. A man by the name of William J. Seymour became an unlikely ambassador for the apostolic movement. He was the son of slaves not a gifted speaker, he lacked social skills, had almost no formal education, and was blind in one eye. But perhaps his greatest handicap was the fact that he had never spoken in tongues, even though he preached that such a sign should be a part of every believer's experience. He received an invitation to pastor a small congregation of Baptists in Los Angeles, California, and traveled there from a Bible school in Texas. Amazingly, he chose Acts chapter 2 and verse 4 as the text for his first sermon at that that mission in Los Angeles. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. While the majority of the congregation gladly accepted his teaching, the church was soon padlocked from Seymour, being able to continue to preach the apostolic message in that location. Seymour was soon granted permission to bring the congregation to the home of Edward Lee and hold services there. I have to be honest with you that I would rather be in a storefront with 30 people who were hungry for an apostolic outpouring of the Holy Ghost than to be in a plush sanctuary with 300 people who were satisfied with church as normal and not hungry for the supernatural moving of the Holy Ghost. I want to be in the middle of where the Holy Ghost is being poured out. On April 9th, 1906, Edward Lee asked Seymour to pray for him that he would be given the gift of tongues. And while Seymour prayed, Lee began to speak in a heavenly language. The Lee home quickly grew too small for the interracial crowd that gathered for Seymour's Bible studies and prayer meetings. As a result, Richard and Ruth Asbury opened their home for the small church. Crowds of both blacks and white faces descended on the Asbury home over the next several days. On April the twelfth, nineteen o six, the first Caucasian man spoke in tongues in America. More importantly, that same day, William J. Seymour, known as the Prophet of the Pentecostal of uh, uh, the Prophet of Pentecost to Los Angeles finally received the gift of the Holy Ghost by evidence of speaking in tongues. The people pressed in to see this new experience and Asbury's front porch gave way from the weight of the crowd. Seymour quickly negotiated a new lease of the Methodist Episcopal Church at 312 Azusa Street in which to hold service. The building was in disarray. The windows were knocked out. Debris littered the floor. Its last occupants had been livestock since the church had most recently been used as a stable. Interestingly enough that the church would begin in a stable. It was more like the rustic outdoor camps of the holiness movement than the stained-glass windows churches of other denominations. And since it was not in a residential area, meetings could go all night without police interference. Within a week, a makeshift pulpit, altar, and benches graced what the Times reporter called the tumble-down shack, where colored people and a sprinkle of whites practice the most fanatical rites, preaching the wildest theories and working themselves into a state of mad excitement in their peculiar zeal. I don't know about you, but I don't mind a little bit of mad excitement and a little bit of zeal when I come to church. I expect it because that is true apostolic Pentecostal. By September, the church at Azusa Street reported that about 13,000 people had received the apostolic gospel and the infilling of the Holy Spirit by evidence of speaking in tongues. Though there were periods of silence in their services where even the most demonstrative believers sat still, most of their meetings were electric Loud and unlike the services of any company of fanatics in Los Angeles. Why then, if that was the case, do we have services that are so controlled where we control our emotions and where we control our worship, where we are unemotional and we're worried about what somebody is going to think about our worship? What happened to that wildfire where we worshiped regardless of who was? watching and what anyone else thought. The meetings began at 10 a.m. and continued for at least 12 hours, often lasting until two or three the following morning, and many times My husband feels pressure to get his message over in a 30-minute span and apologizes when he goes 40 and 50 minutes. Something is severely wrong in the apostolic church when that is the case. Elder Seaman rarely preached, but when he did, he would often take out a tiny Bible and read only one or two words at a time. Then he would walk the room, challenging unbelievers face to face, Uh, shouting to those kneeling at the altars to let the tongues come forth. Yet we worry about walking to somebody and, and compelling them to come to the altar. When it first began, they compelled them to come. They went and they reached and they pulled them to make a decision for the Lord. There were no hymnals no liturgy, no order of services. Most of the time, there were no musical instruments. But around the room, men jumped and shouted. Women danced and sang. What has happened to our outward praise? What has happened to the services where some of you that I have watched dance the aisles? I grew up in this church. I know what your worship used to look like. Why is it that it has disappeared? What has happened to the dancing? What has happened to the shouting? What has happened to run in the aisles? What has happened to the wildfire? I pray that God would release it so strong in this church that we would not be able to contain our worship that it would come from the depths of our souls that we would be willing to give the lord shouts of praise that would last until the wee hours of the night where god was doing a marvelous work
1: in the name of jesus hallelujah thank you lord
0: People sang sometimes together, yet with completely different syllables, rhythms, and melodies. And to most of us, that might sound like chaos, Sister Cheryl, or at least to me, that might make me a little bit nervous. But at other times, the church joined together in English versions of the comforter has come. Fill me now. Joy unspeakable, I have found his grace is all complete. He supplieth every need. And they sang, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. At various places in the building and in the streets, some would be slain under the power of God. I remember service after service, even where myself, where God would, would, the power of God would be so strong that I would be slain under the power of the Holy Ghost. I long for those days. I long for that type of worship and that power of God to return to the church. Seymour said, proud, well-dressed preachers come in to investigate. Soon their high looks are replaced with wonder. Then conviction comes, and very often you will find them in a short time wallowing on the dirty floor, asking God to forgive them and to make them as little children. He reported that the secular papers have been stirred and published reports against the movement, but it has only resulted in drawing hungry souls who understand that the devil would not fight a thing unless God was in it. When we see the church under attack and we know that the devil is fighting, we might as well square our shoulders, throw our head up and understand we must be doing something right because the devil only fights what he fears. What made the 1906 Azusa Street Revival so special were three key factors that mirrored the formation of the church in the book of Acts. There, there was a multi-ethnic gathering and they were gathered together in unity. There was a. This was a very volatile time and a prejudiced time in Los Angeles. This city was segregated. Yet God chose an African American preacher named William Seymour to launch a modern Acts Two movement. There were blacks, there were whites, there were Asians, there were Hispanics, and European immigrants. Among the believers were the rich and the poor. Some were educated, some had no formal education, yet they prayed together in unity, they worshiped together in unity, they dwelled together in unity, and there was no distinction. God forbid that there ever be a distinction in the church, because God does not see color. God sees his people. It came to be said that the color line was washed away at Azusa, and I praise God for that. Healings and the miraculous were present, attesting to the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit and the approval of God. Deaf ears were opened, blinded eyes saw, ears that did not exist, eyewitnesses say suddenly appeared on the side of people's heads." arms that did not exist suddenly appeared and began to grow in front of the believer's eyes from the shoulder socket to the forearm, the elbow, down to the lower arm and into the hand. They even said that the fingernails grew miraculously witnessed by those that were present. As believers began to sing in the Spirit, flames of fire would show over the rooftop of that building, causing neighbors to be, become concerned and call the fire department because they thought that the building was on fire. It was not a natural fire, but it was the fire of God's glory that settled over that building. The Shekinah glory cloud would rest over the top of the congregation, so thick that men could not stand in his presence. I remember services where I have physically seen the Shekinah of glory cloud rest over a congregation and over camp meetings. And many of you, I'm looking and I'm watching as your head is nodding that you have seen it too. Where is the Shekinah glory of God? Where is it in our services? Why are we not witnessing it the way that they did in the early church? The demise of the Azusa Street revival came when racism between the whites, the Hispanics, and the black rose and divided the church. The flesh began to rise that had once been crucified through prayer and through fasting. A struggle for power and authority ensued and disunity and dissension was bred among that church genuine moves of the spirit was mingled with fake worship and shallow worship and witchcraft began to be practiced where people were actually hypnotizing seekers in the altar. Rebellion raised its ugly head and men of God were challenged and asked to leave the congregation. Yet William Seymour prophesied in 1909 that a second group. Great revival would come in about 100 years, 2009. He said that the revival would be like Unto Aziza Street, but it would be a greater revival. This time, instead of being in one location, it would be a revival all over the world that could not be contained. <laughs> This type of revival, as it was in Acts, the second chapter, and in 1906 at Azusa Street, it spread like wildfire when it was noised abroad. You see, wildfires cannot be easily controlled or contained by men. They are highly flammable and combustible that when the elements are just right, it ignites and are difficult to extinguish. They quickly spread over thousands of miles and are carried by the wind. Some believe that this type of wildfire is destructive. It was out of control, out of order, and undignified. This is an age-old spirit that has been at work for thousands of years. The Bible says that David, when they were bringing the ark, which represented the presence of God, back to Jerusalem, it said that he danced with all of his might. So mightily that he even shook off his garment, but his wife was watching from a window and she did not feel that his behavior was becoming of a king. It was undignified in her eyes. And the scripture said that she mocked David for his worship and she resented him for it. And as a result, she was rendered barren and unfruitful. If your worship is being mocked or hindered, or if you are being intimidated or influenced to withhold your worship, change the pew that you are sitting in if you need to, remove the influences, ask the Lord to reveal the spirit that is working through them to steal your worship and get it out of your life. But let that worship come forth with boldness, the way that David danced before the Lord, unashamed, understanding that it was God Almighty that he worshiped. (laughs) Others tried to stop it. They wanted it contained. They worked against it, and the men and the women who were conduits for it. It's easy to stand against what one is not bought into, what one has not given their blood, their sweat, and their tears for. It's easy to call unnecessary and unwanted what one does not desire or does not understand. But in the face of adversity and in the face of those who did not want the church to flourish, 120 were filled with the Holy Ghost in an upper room. Then 3,000 were added to the church as it was noised abroad. And then 5,000 were added to the church as it was noised abroad. And as many as the Lord calls and are added to the church even yet today— in the face of adversity because the Lord will have a church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We've been praying, we've been sowing, and now we're crying, heaven, send the rain. There will be a great harvest in the city of Frankfurt there will be a great harvest in the city of Lebanon there will be a harvest brother Sanchez in the city of Lafayette there will be a great harvest in this region CLC will have a global impact on the revival and the harvest that God has in these last days <laughs>
1: hallelujah we praise you give him praise for it we thank you lord we thank you lord we thank you lord hallelujah
0: people can attempt to rise up against the church but it isn't going to work They can plan and strategize their attacks against the ministry, but it is not going to work. Divisive men will rise and secretly attempt to divide the church, but it will not work. Some will spread false accusations, attempting to destroy the reputation of the man of God, attempting to bring reproach to the church. But it will not work. My Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That means the schemes of the devil, the plans that he has to try to destroy, the plans that he has to try to get our attention away from building a church. They're never going to work because God will have a church. As a matter of fact, let me serve the devil notice tonight. The church is not going down. It is not on a downward spiral. But it is going up, and it is increasing by the favor of God. Yesterday, I happened to do attendance averages. And this year alone, we have already increased in averages by 50%. People every week. God is prospering the church. She is growing. She is stable. She is strong. The word of God will be preached behind this pulpit by our pastor and our assistant pastor and every minister that stands behind this pulpit without fear or favor of men. They will not alter the word of God. They will not preach to us false doctrine, but they will preach to us what saith the word of God. This church will always be held accountable according to the word of God. Not what we want, not what pleases us, not what we would prefer not to have. But if the word of God says it, this church is always going to stand on the word of God. There will be. There will be. There will be. Be a multicultural church in a culture that threatens to divide us. I come against every spirit of racism that would try to raise its ugly head in this church. I curse it and send it back to hell where it came from. It will not take root in this church.
1: Hallelujah.
0: When flesh rises... Flesh will be brought down. Disunity will not be tolerated. This church will thrive in unity. There will be unity. There will be unity among the brothers. There will be unity among the sisters. There will be unity of purpose. There will be unity of focus. God will unify this church. And anyone that tries to cause disunity, God will remove them out of the way. Apostolic authority in this church will be what we submit to. I'm gonna say it again. Apostolic authority will be what this church submits to. That man standing over to my left, I understand that he is my husband, but he is the man that will stand before God for you, for your children. For your spouse, he will stand before God to answer for me and to give an account to me. And I want to submit myself to the authority that God has placed in my life. Because when I rise up against that authority, God is going to judge me for it. But we will submit to apostolic authority.
1: (laughs) Hallelujah.
0: Witchcraft. I know you. that is a word that most people don't like to use, but let me tell you, it does operate within the church. I have seen it with my own eyes. Witchcraft, rebellion, and idolatry will be exposed and brought down by the authority of Jesus Christ. It cannot operate in a church where the Spirit of God rules and reigns and has dominion. This church will be a house of prayer, not a house of gossip. On Sunday, I was very, and I will be very transparent with you, I happened to walk up on a conversation that I had to turn around and I had to walk away from because we were about to start church because there was gossip going on in this sanctuary. I bind that spirit in Jesus' name. That is not of God gossip is not of god this is to be a house of prayer not a house of gossip we want the operations of the gifts of the spirit working in our midst and we don't want them squelched if the lord wants to speak through tongues and interpretation then let him have the authority to do so if he wants to speak with through healings in the miraculous we will allow him to do so it will never be squelched in this church i want it to operate i desire for the gifts of the spirit to operate in the church False prophets in our city and region will come to investigate, and they already have, only to be met with the power of the Holy Ghost that is undeniable in this church because the power of the Holy Ghost is in this place, and we ought to give God praise for that, that he allows his spirit to dwell among us. We worship
1: you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah,
0: hallelujah. Our building may be in disarray. The ceiling may leak. There may be potholes that if you drive a small vehicle, you're going to lose it in the parking lot. Our building out on State Road 28 may not be complete. We may not have the finances that we need at this moment, but we will build a church And God will provide for that building because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And God is going to have a church.
1: And I want to be a part of that church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're hungry.
0: We're thirsting for you, Lord. We want you. We desire to you. And we are asking you to send the rain on this congregation. It has been 111 years since the Azusa Street Revival and since Seymour prophesied that in some 100 years that there would be another revival like as it to Azusa Street, but that it would be more powerful than what Azusa Street is. I declare in the name of Jesus a revival unprecedented that would start today in Christian Life Church that
1: it would be far-reaching that would be greater than anything we ever dare to dream <laughs> hallelujah 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 hallelujah
0: several years ago when we first began the awakening at a prayer meeting at my home where's is desa in here anywhere? I'm not seeing her. Is she, is, she, is she not here, Jay? She's out on the other side. The Lord granted Sister Dasa and I very similar visions in that prayer meeting. As I looked in, I don't know, call it a dream, call it a vision, I'm going to call it a sign from the Lord. But I saw the campus as it is right now, the front building that was totally unfinished, where it looked just like it looks if you would drive into the gates right now. As a matter of fact, the barbed wire fence was still standing. But the gates were swung open wide. And as I walked through those gates, I remember looking up at the sky and there was a hole in the sky that uh, lets you look up into the heavens. And from that was a rain of the glory of God that was falling down on that campus. And I literally... I literally saw hundreds of people, some that I recognized and some that I don't even recognize. But I watched as they filtered into that campus and we were baptizing them outside in a horse trough in my vision and as they were coming up out of the water they were walking out of that gate but they weren't walking never to come back because they were going and they were getting others and they were bringing them back and we were baptizing them and they were going out and getting others there were so many people in that vision that I couldn't even hardly walk through when I saw the hundreds and the thousands of people I I'm just crazy enough to take God at his word to believe that that is the revival that
1: we are going to experience.
0: Why not? Why why is that too pie in the sky? This county has 34,000 people Clinton County alone has 34,000 people why is 300 our biggest goal that we dare to dream what about 500 what about 800 what about multiple campuses what about thousands of people receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost Because as the power of God begins to move and people are filled with the Holy Ghost and the Shekinah glory begins to settle
1: on this congregation, what would happen if people driving by
0: would look above this building and see flames thinking that it was a a fire, but it was truly the fire of the glory of God? What would happen as in early revivals, as people would drive by, they would be so compelled. They would say, I don't even know what is causing me to stop. But they would drive up and they would stop and get out of their cars. And the the people would say that as they walked in the back doors, that they would be slain in the spirit and begin to speak in tongues. That's the kind of
1: revival that I want to be a part of. Oh Jesus, 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 Jesus,
0: Jesus. I declare all these things to come to pass because the Word of God says that whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven. But whatever we loose on earth, it is done in heaven. And tonight I loose an
1: Azusa Street revival. I loose a revival unprecedented yet Hallelujah. If your desire is to be a part of a revival like that, I challenge you right now to do whatever you feel like doing. Whatever the Lord moves on you to do. Get out in the aisle. Commit to the Lord. I am going to be a part of that revival. We've been praying. We've been sewing.